starts tomorrow. Remember these wild children in your prayers. I'm going to continue on the book of James. Um, probably got a few, couple more after this. We're almost, almost done. I don't know if you're enjoying it or not, but it's good stuff. It's uh, spoken to me. And uh, I don't know. That matters to me, I guess. I don't know. But anyways, um, there's a little bit that James starts. We're going to learn James chapter 3. Um, he, he talks a little bit about heavenly and earthly wisdom. And the wisdom that James recommends that we get is not the same as just knowledge or knowing what to do. A lot of times we think of wisdom, we think, you know, knowing what to do in the right situation. That's not what he's really talking about. Um, <clears throat> he's talking about a wisdom that produces uh, positive and practical results that make us more like more like Jesus. So the decisions that we make, not just everyday type things, but decisions we make that would make us more like him and, and draw us closer to Jesus and lead us to be more like him. Um, James chapter 3 verse 13 is where we'll start. And it says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. And if you were here Last week and made it to the end, you will remember that we ended with James rebuking his brothers for what was coming out of their mouths. Um, they were blessing and cursing God at the same time with the same mouth. And James is saying, you can't, you can't bless God and curse your brother. You know, only, only one thing's going to come out. You're either faking one or the other. You can't, uh, a vine can't produce figs and a fig tree doesn't produce grapes. You're only going to produce one thing. So whatever's in your heart is going to come out. So he's, he's talking about that. And so he's just rebuking them, you know, saying, you're my brother. I love you. Remember this. You know, he's been doing this the whole time. But in the middle of his rebuke, he says, who is a wise man with knowledge among you? So he's, he, he acknowledges that even though they're not doing things right, even though they have problems and whatever, um, there could be somebody among them that he's talking to that has wisdom and has understanding. But he, he teaches and goes on to say that um, our knowledge and understanding will be revealed by how we, how we live and how we act. And it's not, not just because you say, oh, I've got wisdom. Look at me. I'm so wise. You know, that doesn't mean that you have wisdom says, you know, you'll know it because of good conduct in the New King James Version is what it says. So once again, James is focusing on how we, how we act and what we do and how we act shows our wisdom and knowledge, which we all know. You know, there's people that do things and you're like, well, that was dumb. Right? Yeah. Maybe you do it to me. Maybe you do it to your... Someone at your house. I do it to my kids a lot. <laughs> Didn't think that through, did ya? You know, well, how we act shows our, our wisdom sometimes. Amen. And with the, the Jewish culture, they had a tendency to, to praise wisdom above all else. Wisdom was the thing that everybody wanted to have. Everybody, you know, was the most important of the, the virtues wisdom was. You know, when Solomon, you know, was asked, what do you want? 
You're your king now. I love David. You know, what do you want? What does he ask for? He asked for wisdom so that he could you know, be the right kind of king. Wisdom was a great virtue. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7, Solomon says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting. Get understanding. So wisdom was this thing that, that the Jewish people wanted above all else. It was something that they always, you know, they were looking for. And, and the readers or the, the audience that James is writing to, they're probably surprised to hear him say meekness of wisdom because it, it was something that was just, you know, Solomon, you know, you want to be wise, you want to have wisdom, so people come to you and, oh, look at, you're so smart. And, and he says the meekness of wisdom, and it's not something that they associated together so much. Now they set wisdom up on a pedestal, but again, James is going against what they normally thought of. And if you notice, but most of this book, that's what he's doing, trying to correct how they view things and how they see things. And he goes against what they, they normally think again. True wisdom, according to the Bible, will always be paired with humility. Well, true wisdom comes through humility and people that are humble. Um, wise teachers aren't arrogant. They have a teachable spirit, and people who refuse to learn cannot teach because they refuse to learn. It goes together. You need, you need humility to have wisdom. You need humility to learn. You need humility to teach. You need humility to do anything for God because we don't know everything. And when we start thinking we do, then we get into problems. Verse 14 says, but if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. That sounds good. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. So it looks, by reading this, it looks like the Jews that he's writing to, they had fallen into a trap of bitter envy and self-seeking. So looking for glory for themselves, which is not something we ever do. We don't like attention, but you know, they, they were. And, and they denied that there was a problem with their attitude. These people that he was writing to, they were boasting in their critical, fault-finding, negative attitudes. And they were saying it was wisdom from God. I know <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's common for bitter and critical people to deceive themselves into thinking that they are doing God's work and finding fault with others. Um, sometimes we do that. It's just, oh, I'm just trying to help you grow, brother. You know, you're really bad at this. I'm going to point that out. I'm going to help you grow. And we just see things negatively and, and then we, we, we put it on the other people and it's like, we're saying, oh, God, help me. You know, that's... Anyways. Sometimes we find fault in everyone and we say, it's all oh, it's a gift from God. He just shows me and I can see all the nonsense that everybody else has, which generally, you know, he wants us to work on ourselves. So Amen. if you're not seeing it, anyways. I don't want to get into everyone's feelings tonight. But last week we mentioned my favorite, my favorite book. And there was a character, Rachel Lynn, who you may be familiar with. But she says, 
I pride myself on speaking my mind. Which is, we all, we all know people like that that just say things because they think it, and you know, obviously I must say it. And some, most of the time, it's not things that need to be said. When you think that you're helping by saying negative things to people and say, oh yeah, you, you know, I know where, I'm, where I need to work. I know where my weaknesses are. I know I can list them. If you want to do that, I can do that. I know what I'm not good at. It doesn't really help when you're pointing it out to me or vice versa or whatever, you know. Most people know where they, they struggle with. And if we don't, God's got to show us when we read it. It doesn't really help when we just start pointing fingers. And Anyways, Jesus talked about that a lot too. If anything, we should pray for people that we see faults in. If anything, we should, you know, try to help them and pray with them and encourage and build up. That's what we're supposed to do. We should pray for people that we see faults in and ask God to help and strengthen and lead them. And that sort of thing. Not just, oh, you... You're a failure. Nobody, anyways. We okay? Verse 15 says, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. So what he's saying is, you know, people that are like this, it's not God showing it to you. This is an earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom that you have. Um, Paul in Colossians, he said to them, that you need to set your mind on things above. And one of those things from above is, is wisdom. And wisdom in verse 15, that we're talking about in verse 15, is not the wisdom from above. This is the wisdom that's not from above. Okay, we got that? So no matter how many times we try to tell ourselves that, you know, God's speaking to me and showing me all the bad things in your life so I can point my finger at you and tell you how you don't measure up and whatever, that's not... It's not from above. That's earthly, sensual, devilish wisdom. It relies on our senses. It relies on what you see and what you feel and how you view things sometimes. And it has nothing to do with God. Gossip and rumors start from this sort of wisdom where we see something and we're like, oh, let me go in here and I'll start trying to fix this. It doesn't work. It's not a good thing. So when we hear things and we see things and we react to it, we don't know the whole story. You know, that causes a lot of problems. Yes. I've known people that are you know, constantly trying to minister based on what they can see, hear, and feel. And a lot of times it's not the whole story. And a lot of times when we do that, we make a bigger mess out of it because we're relying on our senses and what we can see and what we hear and what we think we know instead of what God is trying to do through us. If we listen to Him, yes. Yes. give us wisdom to deal with these Situations. It's generally when we just jump in and try to do it on our own. Oh, I gotta straighten this guy out. It never works. That's why people get driven away. Amen. But we need to be led by God, not by our senses and not by our feelings. Verse 16: For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So this is what earthly wisdom is made of. These two characteristics. Envy and strife or self-seeking. Both, both of these are intent on destroying others and building ourselves up. Which we know is not what we're supposed to do. You know, envy, self-seeking, strife, all these things. You know, we, we tear other people down to make ourselves look good. And 
That's what earthly wisdom is made of. One of the goals of Christianity, you know, bringing us all together, is to build up and edify each other. I will give you verses for this. 1 Corinthians 14 and 12 says, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel in the edifying of the church. That's what you should be trying to do. As much as you want all these spiritual gifts, you should want to edify the church, build up the church. And Ephesians 4 and 12 says, the gifts were given for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why God does all this stuff, so that we can build us up. Yes, amen. And Ephesians 4 and 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, going along with what James has been saying, but that which is good to the use of edifying, amen. that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Yes. So whatever comes out of our mouth, let it be used to build up amen. and to give grace. To people. Yes. Yes. And First Peter 4 and 10 Hallelujah. says, And every man hath received a gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So when you get a gift from God, it's to, to minister Amen. to each other Amen. by the grace of God. Yes. There's three different writers that have said this. So yes. I think it was an important thing wasn't just one guy harping on all the time. That's three different guys. Thank you, Lord. That God was trying to say it through. So that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be building up. That's what we were talking about last week. You know, what comes out of our mouth you know, can harm or, or build. And you know, that's what we need to do. We need to build up. That's what we're supposed to be doing, not tearing down or gossiping, complaining, murmuring, all that stuff. We know we're supposed to build each other up. But earthly wisdom produces confusion and is the opposite of Harmony, obviously. Confusion is the opposite of harmony. And harmony comes from relying on the Holy Ghost. And you know, when we're not doing that, that's where confusion comes. When we start, everybody starts trying to do what they think is best and what they, saying what they, whatever, what they think. You know, that's where division causes. That's when churches get split. That's when families get messes. That's where... You know, it's a sign of the flesh when we start doing it ourselves and stop relying on Jesus. We rely on the Holy Ghost. We all, it all works together. But when we stop, that's when confusion comes. With earthly wisdom, it's every man for himself. Always looking out for number one, which is the opposite of what God has called us to do. And the opposite of what every example Jesus has given us. If we're trying, if we're doing it right, sorry, if we're, we're following him right and we're doing it right, we're all trying to follow and strive to be like Jesus. And as we do that, that unifies us. Because, you know, I'm trying, you're trying, I know you're trying, you're, you're falling, let's go, we can do this together, we're all going together. And it brings us together. But when it's like, oh, I'm going to get ahead of you, oh, pushing people aside, oh, oh, you know, you struggle with that, you're done. And then it's, it's, there's no unity in that. Does that make sense? I hope so. Verse 17. It says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Verse 18. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. 
So he says that heavenly wisdom isn't tainted or sullied, which is a fun word, by envy and self-seeking. It's pure because it has the welfare of others at heart. So heavenly wisdom is pure because it cares about other people, not just me. And he says that it's first pure, which we got, and then peaceable. And on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that peacemakers were the children of God. Matthew 5 and 9, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers, instead of dividing and causing division, they bring people together. Right? Peacemakers create unity. We should strive to be peacemakers. Strive to bring people together to, to build each other up, to unify each other. It's not always, I'm right, you're wrong, listen to me. You know, that's not keeping the peace. Peacemakers listen to others. Peacemakers hear what other people have to say and they work it out. Peace doesn't come by conquering everyone else. That's not peace. Peace, peace comes by living in harmony and letting some things go that don't matter in the long run. And being calm. Think about your house. You can fight with your spouse over every little thing if you want. And that is going to be miserable. And not every little thing matters, even though it may to you at that moment. Well, not every little thing matters. And when we learn to let some little things go that don't matter, I'm not talking doctrine stuff. This is all personality type things. Not doctrine stuff. We keep that. We got a problem with the doctrine. I don't know. Pray, go somewhere else. But, <laughs> but let little things go. If, you, if you're married, you're just fighting over, oh, you put the dishes in the wrong spot, or you, you miss the spot when you're sweeping, and just freaking out over every little thing, there's not going to be a peaceful house. Right, you got to learn how to let some pick your battles, they say. When we first got married, my wife's not here, but when we first got married, I did the dishes. I thought I'd be nice and I would do the dishes. And it turns out I did them in the wrong order. Yeah. I didn't know there was an order. I just was like, I'm going to do the dishes because I'm a good guy. And I did them wrong and I heard about it. Yeah. And that was the moment I realized I should let some things go. <laughs> I will do the dishes the way that she thinks the dishes should be done, or she can do the dishes. <laughs> I never did them the other way again, because it's not a battle worth fighting. No. I know you probably have stuff like this. But that's part of making peace. It's coming to an agreement. Right. Or doing what your wife says, that also works. But being a peacemaker is not something that comes natural for most people. It's something that we need to work on. But it all comes from knowing when to be quiet and when to speak. You know, what James has been talking about, watching our mouth and guarding our heart. If we do that, that's the beginning of being a peacemaker. And being secure in who you are in Christ. When we're insecure, we lash out at anyone that we see as a threat. Or insecure, that's a lot of our problems. We're insecure, think our position or something is in jeopardy, so we got to lash out at people. And the next thing on the list was gentleness. 
And gentleness, as we know, is part of the spirit, fruit of the spirit, same as, as peace in Galatians 5, verse 22 to 23. It says, but the fruit, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And this is just another contrast against envy and self-seeking. Gentleness does not go with those things. Sometimes we think, you know, being an authority or being used or being leading anything is just being hard and harsh. And this is what I say and you got to do it or whatever. But that's not always the case. There's a gentleness that we need. We're working together as a gentleness. Um, one of our children at junior camp just had an emotional breakdown. Probably figure which one it was. But she just lost her ever-loving mind over something which happens more than it should. But I was struggling with trying to deal with it because inside I wanted to just whatever. But there's lots of people around. <laughs> Everyone's watching. And I, I was trying to hold it all in. And I don't know if you know how hard that is sometimes, but I was trying. And... Um, Brother Roach was there, and you know he asked, you know, what's going on or whatever. And I was like, I told him, I was like, well, just. And he said this thing I never, nobody's ever said to me. He said, just be gentle with her. And I was like, huh? Because usually everyone's like, put the fist down, show him who's boss. And he said, just be gentle with her. And I was like, huh? Nobody's ever said that before. Usually it's like you tell them whatever. And I don't know, I just something clicked. I was like, maybe we'll try this approach because the, oh, this isn't working. Yeah. It worked. Praise God. <laughs> Sometimes gentleness is what's needed. Yes. Amen. Dealing with certain situations. Yes. And as we let God lead us, you know, he'll use us that way. Because <clears throat> our natural reaction when some things aren't going our way is just put the foot down. Yeah. That's how it works. Right? And for me, anyway. But gentleness is something that we need to use. Um, it's in, you know, direct opposite of envy and self-seeking. You know, I, I'm the boss. This is how it works. You know, this gentleness doesn't really go with that. And then it says we need to be easy to be entreated. Or in the New King James, it says willing to yield. Earthly wisdom is a lot of do what I say. Because I'm the boss. I'm the most important person here. Do what I say. I'm not just talking about parenting anymore. Just and life in general. Do what I, you know. That's a lot of earthly wisdom because it's focused on me. And you're not doing what I want you to do. So obviously this is an issue because I'm the most important person right now. And this is how this is how earthly wisdom works. And I worked at McDonald's and I had this. Um, this guy, we had the owner, and then we had a guy right under him. The owner didn't really know what was going on. He just looked at the numbers. The guy underneath, um, his right-hand man, really did everything. And he was not a nice fellow. Outside of work, great. Inside of work, just there's words you can use, and I won't use them. But he wasn't, whatever. And he was trying to, we, I had my first review as a manager, and he, he, it was me and him and my store manager, and that's how we did it. And he thought he would give me some advice, and he said, sometimes you just gotta be, I can't say the word, but 
It means the same as idiot. You just got to be this kind of person. Sometimes you just got to do this because you're the boss and they got to do. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't argue with them because there's no point arguing with them. But I found when I you know, treated people as people and not just as tools or whatever, it worked better and everybody you know, worked. Sometimes, you know, there's times you had to be a little harsher or whatever, but generally with gentleness and you know, seeing people as people and not just, you know, the wisdom from God is like that, you know, values everybody and builds everybody together and brings everybody together, whereas earthly wisdom is just do what I, you know, because I'm the most important person. And heavenly wisdom causes people to listen and look for ways to accommodate others. It's not always my way or the highway. Earthly wisdom is unmerciful. And heavenly wisdom looks for ways to show mercy, to do any good work possible. Does that make sense? Yes. Hope I didn't confuse you with my boss story. Verse 18 says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So peacemakers and righteous people will sow the right seeds, and because they sow the right seeds, obviously they will produce the right things. Amen. So yes. it's sown in peace to them that make peace. So when we do that, we try to be peacemakers, we be gentle, let God lead us. The fruit of righteousness will be produced. <clears throat> and then James talks about how our desires must be submitted to God. So even though James is writing to Christians, this is the church is new, this is a whole new whole new world. And most of these people hadn't matured yet, which is not different than today. Um, lots of people seem to come to church, but not everybody matures at the same rate. And you know, it's always going to be the case because people grow at different paces. Some people only grow so much. But these people that he's writing to, they're, they're Christians, but they're not mature Christians. And their relationships, there were... There was strife in their relationships. Their motives were wrong. They weren't separated from the world like they should be. They were influenced by the world around them. And so James gives them a solution to this. And he says, you need to practice humility. You need to repent. You need to weep before God. You need to submit to Him. So this is what he talks about in James chapter 4. Verse 1 to 3 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, and ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So verse 1, um, it may seem strange to us that the early church had a lot of problems in the relationship. Sometimes we look at the Bible in the early church, and we think they didn't have any problems. It was just miracles and Holy Ghost outpourings and, you know, them walking in their shadow and people being healed and leaping for joy and silver and gold, how I none. And that's, you know, that's what we think of the early church. But they had a lot of struggles. You know, you can tell by the books and the epistles that were read, it addressed a lot of issues that we still deal with. But, you know, that's why they wrote it. Because there was these things that people were dealing with. And, you know, it's the same with now we get missions reports. And you're like, wow, 500 people got the Holy Ghost in Mexico. Or, you know, 25 people got the Holy Ghost this service in Ghana. Or, and we baptized 21 after church. It was amazing. And we get these reports, but they don't always mention the other stuff that they, they've gone through. 
you know, the struggles they've had with their pastors. I know of one place where there were 30 churches in one area, and one pastor got mad at another pastor, and he took all the other churches with him, and they left because somebody didn't get invited to some rally or something. You know, that's not stuff that comes home in the missions reports. You know, they, they, but they don't talk about the arguments or they don't talk about people not showing up when they're supposed to or the services they had and nobody showed up or they don't talk about that sort of thing. The, the power outages or the times they got malaria or, you know, they don't talk about that stuff so much. It's all the reports. You know, that's kind of what the Book of Acts is all the highlight kind of. But there's actual problems going on. And then, of course, you know, the church grew fast. Great things were happening, and that's what we want today still. But in the words of a guy named Pete, the Muppets take Manhattan, he says, peoples is peoples. People don't really change. They're always the same. You know, you can go anywhere at any time in history, and people will be fighting with each other. People will be disagreeing with each other. People will be on each other's nerves. And peoples is peoples. And they're influenced by culture, they're influenced by the values around them, by their governments, by religions, by families, by econo economies. economies. <laughs> and most of these things are negative influences, and people are just influenced by these things because we live in this world, so we're always, there's always influence yes. around us. And the biggest thing is people were affected by sin, and it's still a thing that we deal with. Today, So when we read the epistles, we see that they had problems. And they addressed a lot of these problems, practical problems. So James is addressing theological problems that Paul talks about. And a lot of epistles were written to correct certain problems in the church, which are still problems we deal with, which is kind of amazing. But anyways. So James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? And he's been teaching them up until now that if we bring no effort or if we have no effort to conform to the Bible or conform to the Word of God in chapter 1, he talks about pure religion. In chapter 2, he talks about how the Bible and the Word of God is a mirror. And if we, we look at it, we don't do anything. He talks about that. And he says, if we show partiality and prejudice in chapter 2 with the rich and the poor and that sort of thing. And then chapter 3, he spends a lot of time he's talking about if we don't control our tongues. And if we don't do these things... And this is where fights and wars come from. When we won't conform to the word of God, when we show prejudice and partiality in the church, when we don't control our tongues or watch our hearts, you know, that's, where, that's where fights and wars come. And relationships will fall apart. If we don't do these things that James has been teaching, relationships around us are going to start falling apart. And we'll be at war with each other. But even... So all of this stuff is going on. James still calls them brethren. And sometimes people look at Christians and they say, oh, how could they do that? Because they're a Christian. How could you do that? I thought you were supposed to be whatever. How could you mess up like that? Well, people, it's peoples. Amen. Peoples is peoples. Yeah. People look at us sometimes. How could you do that? And the thing is, we're not perfect yet. And I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Amen. We're not perfect yet. We're still growing and learning and falling and getting back up again and trying again. And that's where the grace of God yes. comes in. And nobody's perfect. Hallelujah. And if they say they are, they're lying. And that makes them not perfect anyway. Verse 2 says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill 
and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. So he talks about, or he tells how people try to satisfy their wrong desires the wrong way. And we know two wrongs don't make a right. He says you resort to murder or covetousness to try to satisfy their lust. And the lust is wrong and they're, they're trying to get you know, satisfied by doing the wrong things. Obviously it's not going to work. They're going about it the wrong way. So the right way to receive good things is through prayer and doing all these things that he's been teaching us. But sometimes we're so busy with our own efforts and trying to attain our own goals that we don't have time for prayer. First, James chapter 1, verse 5 to 8, he says, he said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So he's saying, you know, you're not doing it right, so you're not going to get it. And it's doubtful that he's actually talking about murder when he says you're, you're, you kill. You know, he's not really... He's using it the same kind of way that John used it in 1 John 3 and 15. He said, Whosoever hated his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So he's talking about spiritually, because when we, we're fighting with each other, we're killing each other. When we're fighting with each other, we're not... You're not building each other up. You're destroying each other. You're murdering each other, killing each other. And he said, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. So verse 2, he says, People don't have because they don't ask. And verse 3, he clarifies that, and he says, Many, or you may actually ask, but your prayers aren't genuine, because you have the wrong motives. And genuine prayer is a prayer of faith. And first, sorry, first James. James 1 and 6. It says, But let them ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So you can pray and you can ask, but it, it's faith that makes that prayer true and validates that prayer. Yes. Jesus gave an example of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In Luke 18, verse 11, it says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He said, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. But it says he prayed thus with himself. And he, he looked good. He sounded good. He appeared to be doing it right. It looked like he was doing the right thing. But he prayed with himself. His heart was not right. His prayer was not genuine. He wasn't praying with faith. He was praying with himself. And some people pray, but they, they don't receive because they ask amiss. Because they're doing it for their own selfish reasons or evilly, the Bible says, prayers can, prayers can be evil because they tend to waste on ourselves the things that we're praying for. So what we're praying for is, well, give me stuff, give me stuff, or whatever. And just me, me, me. And we're not, we're not going to happen. This is when people get frustrated. But anyways. <clears throat> so the root problem, he says it. Verse 4 to five, four to 6, he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, but he, that giveth, but he giveth more grace? 
Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Griveth grace. Verse 4. He uses the words adulterers and adulteresses. That's a hard word to spell out when you're writing it. It's a lot of random letters. But he says, he uses this as the same kind of way the Old Testament prophets would. You know, the show of spiritual unfaithfulness when they would prophesy to, um, to Israel or Judah and they would say, accuse them of adultery because they, were, they weren't following God. They were following after other, uh, after other gods. So he uses this to show spiritual unfaithfulness because people are supposed to be following Jesus, but they were still being influenced by the world around them and they were still following things of the world. And we know that you can't do both. It's one or the other. You can't follow both. Just like in a marriage, you can't be married and have someone else on the side. It may work for a little while, but eventually it's going to fall apart. One of those relationships is going to have to end eventually. It's going to come out and you're going to have to make a choice. It's one or the other. You can't keep going back and forth between God and the world. And playing both, you need to make a decision. Hallelujah. And when we are self-centered and driven by our own sinful desires and passions, doing, um, doing all these things that James has been talking about and not living for God, we're living for ourselves and the things of the world, we are unfaithful to God. Yes. And just like the early church struggled with this, which is something we always think about, but they struggled with this, you know, so do we. And the word... World means, it comes from the Greek word cosmos. And it, it means the way that things work, the mindsets, the, the goals of the world. Um, you know, the American dream, the systems of the world, the, the way you know, people think and act and try to make decisions, the way that the world does things. This is what it's talking about. Not just, you know, whatever, sin and stuff, but just the way that we think. The way that we act, the way we make decisions, our priorities. When we become, you know, a follower of Jesus, our priorities should change. They shouldn't be the same as our neighbor that doesn't follow him. You know, in the world, it's all about trying to, you know, the earthly wisdom, trying to get ahead, trying to climb the ladder, you know. Hurt people, it doesn't matter as long as you, you know, get ahead. Or in, the, in the U.S. right now, there's all this Second Amendment stuff going on, right? And it's like, they're acting like that's the Word of God, but it's just something that some guys wrote. It's not the Word of God. And they're thinking like the, the world. I don't want to get into all that, but that's just an example. <laughs> or act like it's the Word of God, but it's not. And it's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12 and 2, when he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what that is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's saying you need to think differently than the world. We can't be conformed. Our minds cannot be conformed to the ways of the world. We need, they need to be transformed. We need to think differently. We need to see differently if you've been saved and you're still thinking the same old way, the same as the world, you're not being conformed. <clears throat> to him, sorry. You're being conformed to the world. 
So we should view the world differently and we should have our mind renewed for following after Him. And I know we know these verses, we've heard them, we've learned them in Sunday school, we've quoted them, but we need to apply them. We, we don't need to be seeing everything nor we need to see it differently. Does that make sense? I hope it does. And then verse 5, he says, Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? So he's saying, do you think that it's vain? Do you think it's just pointless that the word of God says that he is jealous? Do you think, you know, he has this idea, uh, there's this idea that God doesn't tolerate infidelity in his bride. And we need to be faithful. It's like, Israel was always not accused of not being faithful to God. We need to be faithful to Him. And then verse 6, he says, But He giveth more grace, wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So even though, even though God is a jealous God, and no, He doesn't like when we're not faithful, He also giveth more grace. He's also gracious. Even if we are unfaithful, He still has grace, and He's still ready to give grace to those who humble themselves. Give the grace to the humble. That's the key. Grace to the humble. He will resist the proud. If we come into his presence like, like that Pharisee, you know, thank God I'm not like this guy. I'm proud. Look at me. I got it on. Whatever. God resists that. But if we come with humbleness, that's how we find grace. When we fall, maybe we're not faithful. When we come to him with humbleness, that's where grace is found. Proverbs 3, verse 34 says, Surely he scorneth the scorner, scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly, or the humble. He gives grace to the lowly. And the greatest hindrance in being used by God is pride. And the greatest aid in being used by God is humility. The humble declare their dependence on him, and the proud declare their dependence on themselves. We talked a few weeks ago about grace and how it's the unmerited favor of God and receiving what we don't deserve, a second chance and all that. And by His grace, we have strength to do the right thing and to live for Him. And we talked about all that stuff. And grace is a free gift. And when we're humble and we express our dependence on God, He gives us grace and He gives us favor and strength to do His will what should be done? But when we, we stubbornly try to do it ourselves and we, we have pride in our hearts, God will leave us to do it on our own. When we don't admit that we need Him, when we don't admit that we need His help, and we don't come to Him humbly, He doesn't give us the grace we need to do it. And we, if we say, oh, I can do it by myself, He's like, fine, do it by yourself. Let's see. And He resists the proud. He will leave, him, leave us to do it on our own. And it's never going to be the result that we're going for. Because we do need his help. So the solution James gives them is humble repentance. Verse 7 to 10. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Yet let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. <clears throat> So verse 7, because of all these things, these wrong desires, these powerless prayers, these 
spiritual adulteries that we've committed, James tells us to submit to God. And since God gives grace to the humble, we should just, we need to submit to Him and admit that we need Him. And by doing that, by coming to Him humbly and submitting to Him and admitting that we need Him, we are resisting the devil and that causes the devil to flee. If we focus our attention on trying to resist the devil, it's never going to work. But if we submit to God and we don't worry about Him, we will resist Him. Because when we submit, God gives grace, and the enemy cannot stand in the presence of the grace of God. Everything, the, everything Satan teaches is self-reliance, self-effort. It's all about me. If you look up what the church of Satan believes in, that's all it is. The Ten Commandments of it, it's all do what I want. Me, me, me. It's all about me. That's how this whole thing is built because that's what the devil teaches. Do what you want. It's all about me. Self, self, self. So when we come to a place where we rely completely on what God, on God instead of us, he has nowhere to attack us. We rely completely on God instead of us. There's nothing he can do to get in there because you know, it doesn't make any sense to him. Satan does his most successful work with people that are full of themselves or their abilities. Romans 12 and 3 says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measures of faith. So he says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Think soberly. Think, you know, humbly of yourself. <clears throat> Back to James, verse 8, he says, Draw nigh to God, and, I will draw, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So he, he elaborates on what he means by submitting to God. He says, draw near to him, yes. cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, clean your actions. That I've been telling you, your hands are what you act with, what you do with things with. Clean your actions, clean your hearts. This is all the things he's been teaching them. You know, clean this, and when you do that, he will draw nigh to you. When we do, we draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to us. When we do these things, we come to him with humility. Verse 9, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. And the new King James, it says, lament and mourn and weep. So we confess our sins, we repent. There's a time for laughing and there's also a time for repentance. We draw near to God. We line up our actions and our motives with Him. He will draw near to us and we repent. And He will give us the grace that we need. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He shall lift you up. And again, James says, humble yourselves. Humble ourselves. If we want to be used by God, we need to be humble. I'm the humblest person I know. Uh, you know, the missionary, Benny DeMerchant, he is, you know, has some crazy stories. He was a missionary to the Amazon, you guys all know, from New Brunswick, in the middle of nowhere, and he flew planes into villages. He saw a great revival. He saw amazing things happen everywhere that he went. He was a really humble guy, and he had these, these diaries written down, and someone came, and they had to convince him to turn the, these stories into a book because... Like, people need to hear this. People will be amazed at these stories. Like, all oh, these things God's done to you. Your testimony, these are good things. And he was like, I, 
Didn't think anyone would want to hear these. I just wrote them down for myself. These wild stories about you know, falling asleep in the plane, just flying by itself, and flying pig into a village, and all those crazy things. The miracles and all this awesome stuff happening. And he, he was so humble, he just, I don't think anyone's going to hear these because there's my stories and they're boring. And, but, you know, I, I read the book and I couldn't put it down. I just, it was amazing. But he was a humble guy, and because he was so humble, God was able to use him in such a mighty way. And when we are humble, God can use us. But when we come to him with pride and say, you know, I got this. Let me come with all my abilities, my talents. It's like, okay, do it. And I always fall on our face. I find whenever I'm worried about preaching, I usually end up preaching better than when I think I got it all. Like, I'm going to, ah. I got this one, and then it flops, and everyone stares at me. <laughs> Not unlike tonight. No, I'm just kidding. But that's, you know, when we come with humility, God uses us. So we want God to use us, we need to be humble. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm done. Does that make sense? Amen. All right. Let's all stand. Please and thanks.